The following audio is from Morningstar Baptist Church in Dayton, Ohio. For more information about Morningstar, visit morningstardayton.org. <laughs> what an amazing time of worship this morning. I love the songs and our eyes are open. We can see, talk about freedom and being set free because obviously today, this week, at least we celebrate Independence Day. We celebrate the day that a group of 56 men got together and signed what we call right now the Declaration of Independence. Freedom. It's an amazing word, isn't it, though, man, when you think about it? This idea that we can have freedom and liberty. And today we're going to be looking at a passage in Luke chapter 4. So you can turn there in your Bibles. If, if you don't have your Bible, we'll have it up on the screen here in a little bit. But Luke chapter 4 is where we're going to be at. But I want to think about, I want to talk about what this week is, this Declaration of Independence. Because I think it's very interesting when we look at freedom and independence and what that means, where we get that idea from. We, we know that this was signed by 56 men, but do we know much about these guys? What we do know is that two of these 56 men that signed this thing, this Declaration of Independence, were wounded in battle themselves. Four of them were captured and held as prisoners of war. 17 of them lost everything they had, all their money, their houses, their livestock, everything. Many of them were forced to flee their home to avoid capture. Some of them had sons who fall alongside them and had sons that died. Abraham Clark was one signer, and he had two sons that were not only taken prisoner, but were actually tortured throughout the Revolutionary War. Francis Lewis was a signer of the Declaration of Independence, and they actually captured his wife and held her for treason and mistreated her so badly that they had to let her go, but she died within days of them letting her go because she was mistreated so badly. At least two of the signers gave everything they had to support the cause, and they never recovered. They died broke and penniless. 29 of the 56 of them have what we would call today Bible or seminary degrees. Did you know that? I bet you weren't taught that one in high school, were you? Four of them were full-time pastors. Francis Hopkinson, who's well known for a large amount of input he gave into the, the design of our national flag at that time, was this church music and choir director. So there's hope for Ben still. So we're, we got our fingers crossed, right? Robert Sherman was a signer, and he, he's the one that wrote the doctrinal creed for his church in Connecticut. Benjamin Rush is what we would call the, guy, the father of, of Sunday school. He instituted Sunday school in America and also founded the country's first Bible society. James Wilson taught um, a law class at law school, and the name of the law class that he taught was the biblical basis of civil law. These men got together and they pledged to each other. One of those last lines in the Declaration of Independence is this, we pledge our lives our fortunes, and our sacred honors to one another. These guys knew the currency for freedom was blood. Now, don't get me wrong. They, they, they didn't want war. This was not a declaration of war. This was a declaration of independence. They didn't want war with England. They didn't want to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the most powerful military in the world at that time. They knew what that would lead to. The issue for them was this. Those who want freedom, real freedom, they pay for it with blood. In fact, from the Revolutionary War to today, 
There's been over 1,354,664 Americans that have shed their blood and gave their life on a battlefield. Not to mention the 1,498,240 of them that have been wounded. Or the over 40,000 that we still have missing in action from our sailors and our airmen, our Marines and our soldiers. The cost of freedom has always been steep. It's always been extremely high. We all want freedom. We like our physical freedoms, our what we call external freedoms. We enjoy those, but sometimes we forget just how costly it is. But these men who signed this document, where did they get that idea of freedom from? Have you ever thought about that? Like where did this idea of liberty and independence and freedom come from? Those 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence knew where freedom came from. You know how we know? Because in the Declaration of Independence alone, they mentioned God five times. You read their writings and their personal letters and their journals, and it is inundated with their relationship with Jesus Christ, their relationship with God the Father, their understanding of freedom and liberty didn't come from them waking up one day and going, hey, we want the freedom to assemble. It came from the fact they understood what real freedom meant was what came from their relationship with Jesus Christ. Sin is the thief of freedom and liberty. It always has been and always will be. And the Bible says that by one man, sin entered into the world. And because of sin, death, so that death passed upon all men because all have sinned. But God loved mankind so much that he sent his son Jesus to die in our place. Remember the cost of freedom is blood. Not to purchase our physical or external freedoms, but to purchase our eternal freedom. Freedom from the power and the judgment of sin in our life. But the price has always been blood for freedom. It's always been the currency. And from the very beginning, our nation was founded on by men and women who knew what real freedom was. And they knew, they knew the source of freedom. Harvard University, you'll never hear this anywhere else, founded in 1636. You know what their motto was when they were founded? Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. One of the most liberal universities in our nation today. They understood it back then. They got it. The Articles of Confederation in May 19th of 1643 says, whereas we all came into these parts of America to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. George Mason, we know him as the father of the Bill of Rights. He didn't like the Constitution the way it was written because it didn't mention any freedoms for the people. It was all about the government. And so he pushed and he pushed and he pushed. And it's because of him that we have the first 10 amendments that we call the Bill of Rights. That lays out plainly, the government doesn't give us our rights, but it lays out plainly the rights the government's not allowed to touch. Well, George Mason served as a deacon of his church for 35 years, and he wrote this. It is the mutual duty of all to practice Christian forbearance, love, and charity towards one another. George Washington, in his prayer journal, wrote this. Bless, O Lord, the whole race of mankind, and let the whole world be filled with the knowledge of thee and thy son, Jesus Christ. Benjamin Rush, we just talked about him, was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. Here's what he said. The only foundation for useful education in a republic is to be laid in religion. Without this, there can never be virtue. Without virtue, there can never be liberty. And liberty is the object and life of all the republican governments. You know what he was saying? 
without God, without our relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, there is no such thing as liberty. There is no such thing as freedom. George Washington, in his farewell address to the nation, said this, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. Our relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, and morality are the pillars that it rests on. Then he says this, in vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness, these firmest props of the duties of men and citizens. You get that? The president of the United States, the man they actually wanted to make king because they loved him so much, the father of our nation said, the duty of citizens is ought to respect and cherish these two pillars of our faith in Jesus Christ as the son of God and morality that comes from our faith in Jesus Christ. Then he says this, let it simply be asked, where is the security for property, for reputation, for life, if the sense of religious obligation deserts the oath, which are the instruments of investigations in courts of justice? Reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principles. So get this. He says the two pillars, our relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, and morality. He says experience and wisdom teach us that you cannot remove the relationship with God because then it depends on whoever's in charge gets to set the morals for the country. Well, it's moral for me, but it's not moral for you, so I'm gonna do whatever I want. George Washington says you cannot remove the relationship with God out of it. There is no morals, there is no liberty, there's no freedom without God. So what all these founding fathers of our country said is this, we cannot ever experience physical freedoms if we do not have a relationship with the author of true freedom that comes from knowing him. Can we be surprised then that our external freedoms, our, our physical freedoms are being trampled one by one? We're in danger of losing a lot of them. Trace it back. We've taken God out of the schools. We're trying to take God out of the homes as much as we can. We've taken God out of the courts. We've removed him from government. We've removed the very source of freedom, what George Washington warned us about. We've removed the very source of freedom and now our physical, our external freedoms are in jeopardy. But you know where we went wrong? You know where we really messed up as a nation? Was that moment that we started to idolize our physical freedoms. We started to raise up these physical, external freedoms that we enjoy, freedom of the press, freedom of speech, freedom to, to keep and bear arms, freedom to assemble, all these freedoms that are laid out for us. And guess what? I will lay my life down to defend your physical freedoms. And I know a number of the people in our congregation have served and are willing to do the same thing. So I'm not putting those down. But what I'm saying is as Americans, we have come to worship our physical freedoms to the neglect of our eternal freedom. We've, become to, we've come to the place where we ignore the source of our physical freedoms as long as we have our physical freedoms. We ignore our eternal freedom as long as we got our physical freedoms. And we don't understand that the source of all our freedom is only found in God. You got your Bibles in Luke chapter 4? Here we go. Check this out. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. It's talking about Jesus. And it says, He came to Nazareth, which was his hometown, where he'd been brought up. And as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So the men of the community would gather together in the synagogue and they would pass out scrolls and they would take turns reading from the Old Testament. 
The scroll, verse 17, of the prophet Isaiah was given to Jesus. And unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, what was quoted for us this morning. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus reads from that very specific passage from Isaiah. And look at verse 20. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. Look what the verse says. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. I love this. Jesus reads that with such authority, reads it in such a way they'd never heard it read before, and there's just obviously this presence about Jesus because he's a son of God. He reads it, he rolls it up, hands it back to the tenant, and he sits down. And you know what everybody does? There's this awkward silence where everybody's just staring at him. <laughs> They're all just, nobody's talking. Usually the scroll will be passed to person to person, and somebody else, as soon as he was done, would get up and read the next passage. Nobody's moving, nobody's talking. They're all staring at Jesus. And look what it says. Verse 21, he began by saying to them, today, as you listen, the scripture has been fulfilled. You know what he's saying? He sits down and everybody's staring at him. <laughs> and he goes, oh, by the way, that's me. <laughs> that's, I'm that guy. I'm the Messiah. I, and then he gets up and walks out a little bit later. I mean, how amazing is that? Jesus says, look, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointing me to preach the good news to the poor. Jesus tells us what all the, the whole news of the gospel, everything about freedom and liberty is wrapped up here. And he says, I have been anointed to preach good news to the poor. And that word poor, I want you to remember back to our first lesson on, this, on the Sermon on the Mount, the mountain series we did. We said, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is not poor as in people who ain't got no money poor. This is poor as in people who are complete, they're lowly, they're afflicted, and they're hopeless. So you know who that includes? Everyone in this room, including me. I don't care how rich you are or how not rich you are. We're all wrapped up in that word poor because we all at one time were afflicted and we were hopeless. We didn't have an answer. We did not have Christ. And he says, I was sent and anointed to preach the good news to the poor. Now, why are we poor? He lays it out for us because we're bound, we're blind, and we're bruised. Because we're bound and we're blind, and we're bruised. Um, Colton, come here for a minute, man. I'm gonna introduce you to another student this morning. Uh, quite the hairdo on this guy, right? So it's awesome, I love it. I think he's playing Jesus in a play. All right, so here's the deal. All right, so this is Colton, all right? And, and Colton is, what year are you at BBC? A he's a junior at Baptist Bible College, and what are you studying? Business. Business, okay. Colton is studying at Baptist Bible College. He's traveling and serving right now on the team, but Colton, a lot of people don't know this about him, but Colton had a scholarship offer to play basketball at a college, and he turned it on because God called him to go to Baptist Bible College. And I am super proud of this guy, and God's got amazing plans for him. But you're a super strong guy. Kind of? Yeah. All right, I see your guns coming out of the shirt. It's okay. All right, so here's the deal. All right, so Colton is a super strong guy. So we're gonna, I want to illustrate this because Jesus does such an amazing job at this, okay? Remember, we're poor because we're bound. We're blind and we're bruised. Remember that. You might want to write it down. Anyway, okay. So here's the deal. I got a backpack. It's, it's kind of heavy. It's actually really heavy. I put a lot of my commentary, as many as I can fit in here. I don't, I'm getting tired holding it. Anyway, so, but I'm not going to put it on your back because we're kind of built to carry things on our back, right? 
we're going to put it on the front. And it sounds like my strap's even ripping. That's how heavy this is, okay? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead and put your arms through. All right, I'm going to cinch that up for you, make it a little more uncomfortable for you. All right, you ready? All right. Ooh, it's on the very end. Here we go. There we go. You got it? Okay. You feel the weight of it? Okay, good. All right, so here's the deal. So Colton's a pretty strong guy, pretty athletic guy, but you're carrying this. Now, here's the deal. Something about carrying weight on your front, by the way. Again, our bodies aren't designed really to do that, not this much weight. Over time, if you were to keep wearing this, over time, your shoulders are going to start bruising. More importantly, right here, right about your diaphragm, is going to start bruising because all that weight is being pushed right there on the soft. I know you got rock hard abs, but listen, but for me, all right, I would bruise quicker than you, all right? But here's the deal. But when we carry things on our back, we got our ribs and there's a lot more stronger muscles in the back, but this was never meant to carry weight. Even as strong as you're as strong as Colton, it doesn't matter. Okay? So over time, this is going to start bruising. Over time, this is going to start drawing you forward and you're going to lose your balance because we weren't designed to carry weight in the front. Does that make sense? Okay. So here's the deal. I have a pair of handcuffs. For those of you, okay, before you start judging, I was a police officer for many years, so that's why I have handcuffs. Okay, so here we go. So I got a set of handcuffs, and I, and I haven't handcuffed anybody in a very long time. This is going to be very, very um, nice for me. Okay, so this is awesome, all right? Um, so I want you to go ahead and turn around put your hands behind your back. Craig, this is the best feeling in the world, right? All right, so hey, let's turn this way. So this is, all right. If you just would have listened to me, you know what I'm saying? Like, it didn't have to be this way. You, he said he's going to resist arrest. You're strong, but I don't think you're that strong. Okay, so here's the deal. All right. So here's the deal. My cuffs, my prisoner. Does that make sense? The change belonged to me. You belong to me. Now, look, here's the deal. I know, kind of weird. Here's the deal. Like, Colton can run really fast. He's very strong. But now that I've bound his hands behind his back, now that he's carrying that weight on his shoulders, he can't even drop the weight because even if he drops it off his shoulders, his hands are bound. He's not going to get rid of it. At some point, I'm going to catch up to you. It might be a mile down the road, but at some point, I'm going to catch up to you. But here's the deal. You're my prisoner. I have you chained. You're my prisoner. Wherever I want you to go, you're going to go. Now, you can resist all that kind of stuff, and all I got to do is put a little pressure on your wrist, and I can make you go wherever I want you to go. But here's the deal. My change, my prisoner. There's one more thing. Okay. I think this is a dirty shirt. I, I was working out in the yard. It's the only one I had that Manny would let me cut up. So, okay. So here's the deal. I'm going to blindfold you, all right? I won't mess up your hair, I promise, all right? But I want to make sure I get it over your eyes. You're so tall, man. All right, is that over your eyes? Are you sure? Okay. So here's the deal. All right, I won't tie it too tight. Okay. All right. Colton's blindfolded. He can't see that you guys are making fun of him right now, so it's totally okay. He's got the weight that he's carrying that over time is going to cause bruising on, on his sternum and the soft tissue, and on his shoulders. He's bound. He belongs to me because I chained him. The chains belong to me, so he belongs to me. And what Jesus is saying is, he says, I came to preach the good news to the poor. Why? Because this is us. This is me and this is you spiritually before we ever enter in a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is us. And so Jesus says, my ministry, I've been anointed by God the Father, I'm God the Son, to come and speak truth and hope into those who are blinded, who are bruised, and who are bound. The good news of freedom is not based on what a government can give us. It's not based on what's written on paper 243 years ago. The good news of freedom is when we accept the freedom that Jesus offers for eternal life. Does that make sense? And so what Jesus says here, he says, look, not only did I come to preach the gospel to those that are, that are poor, but I come to set free to proclaim freedom to the captives. 
So what Jesus says is, I can't see, it's really dark over here. Jesus says, I've got the key. So he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to loose you from this. Now here's what I love, just stand there for just a second. Here's, here's what I love. Jesus says, my chains, my chains now. He took the chains off of us, and he says, my chains. But instead of saying, instead of saying, my chain, my prisoner, instead of saying, my chains, my captive, Jesus says, my chains, my child. Does that make sense? My chains, my child. I got this. I died for this. You don't need it anymore. Like, I'm going to set you free. You're bound. He says, I'm going to set you free. I'm going to release you from bondage and imprisonment. I'm going to set you free from the power of sin in our lives. The power of sin is what keeps us tied up. It keeps us bound up. And Jesus, I'm going to set you free from that. And then he says this. Then he says, I came to recover sight to the blind. He says, recover sight to the blind, which means now you can see. See, it's pretty hopeless. If I would have left you like that, you, you probably would have hoped at some point I would let you out, Right? But if you were to wake up like that every day with, with the baggage and with the chains and with the blindfold, what's that going to make you feel like? Awful. Pr- pretty hopeless. It is getting heavy, and I tell. You're trying to shift your weight. It is getting heavy. But when we're blind, we can't see what's chaining us up. When we're blinded by the world. We're blinded by our sin. We can't see what the weight is that's holding us down. All we know is we feel pain and pressure. All we know is we can't control things in our life. We have no way out. We're hopeless. That's all we know because we can't see. And in fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul uses the same illustration here, talking about blind. He says, when the world, the God of this world, Satan, blinds our mind, he says that he veils our eyes to the truth that is Jesus Christ. But when we give our life to Christ, what Paul says, Jesus then takes the veil off and we can see. He says, I came to recover sight to the blind. And then the last thing, obviously, is he comes and he says, I came to set free the oppressed. All right. Thanks, man. You have a seat. He says, I came to set free the oppressed. Here's what I love about this. This this oppressed, here's what it means. The word means crushed. It means bruised. You carry this around long enough. I know there's some super strong guys in here. Um, you go, I got that. You're right, you can do it. It's still gonna bruise you over time. It's still gonna weigh you down over time. It's still gonna slow you down over time. You're gonna start feeling the weight because as we go through life, you know what happens? We start putting more and more stuff into it. <laughs> We keep accumulating more and more stuff because here's what this represents. Jesus says, look, I'm going to set you free from the power of sin. I'm going to open your eyes to the truth of what real freedom looks like. He says, but here's the deal. Like, you've already messed up. You've already sinned. You've already broken my law. You've already broken God's standard. And so you're carrying around a weight of guilt and a weight of shame and a weight of sin. And it's brokenness and it's weighing you down. So Jesus says, look, not only am I going to get you free from the power of sin, but now you're set free from the judgment of it. You don't have to carry it. Not only did I take this, and not only did I take this, but Jesus says, I took that. Like, you're not going to be judged for that. You're not going to be oppressed anymore. It, it, it means that the people who are shattered through, they're broken by calamity. They're bruised from the crushing weight of the backpack. But look, here's the deal. I want you to look back at the end of that verse. He says, to set free the oppressed. You got your Bibles, underline that word set draw a box around it. I love that, that word. That word in the Greek is apostello. 
It's the same word used in Luke chapter 9 when Jesus sent out the disciples to preach the kingdom of heaven. When it says in Luke chapter 9 that he sent out the disciples to preach the kingdom of heaven, that word sent is the same word as this Greek word set, apostello. It doesn't just mean you've been set free from something. It means you're set free to something. Does that make sense? It's a double meaning word. It's not just that, yeah, we don't have to carry this anymore. We can kick it to the curb. But it's not just that. It's that, hey, now I have a responsibility that I've been set free from that to now be set free to do something. And we can't ignore how this is written. We can't ignore what he's saying here. And there's a reason why this is the last one, because he says, look, I've set you free from the chains, and I removed the blindfold off. And you know what happens when Jesus takes the blindfold off our eyes when we're, now we're living in truth? Now we can see with God's eyes those that are living around us, those that are working around us, who are still blindfolded. And when God takes the backpack off, when God takes off the bruising, when he takes off the burden of the shame and the guilt of our sin, we're not just set free from it, we're set to do something. Go, look, turn, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I love this passage. Look, Paul just got finished saying in, in chapter 3 that we're blinded and, God, and that Jesus comes and he removes the veil. And in chapter 3, verse 17, says, Now the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces are reflecting the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now look, verse 1 of chapter 4. It's a continuing thought. Paul didn't write in chapters. He says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not give up. Now, what ministry is he talking about? The ministry of living with unveiled faces. The ministry of giving truth. The ministry of setting others free because we're called to it. We're set free from it to do something. Keep reading. Verse 2 of chapter 4, instead we have renounced shameful secret things, not walking in deceit or distorting God's message, but in God's sight we commend ourselves to every person's conscience by an open display of the truth. But if in fact our gospel is veiled or covered up, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Regarding them, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. Look what he says again at the end of verse 3. But if our gospel is veiled, if we've been set free from this and set free to do something, but we cover it up, we don't now look around to those who are still carrying this and those who are still wearing this and those who are still chained up in this. If we don't go around and see that and it breaks our heart, whether it's on a foreign missions trip or across the street, if we don't see that, guess who the detriment falls on? Those who are lost and dying apart from Jesus Christ. They're the ones who are gonna suffer because we're not going, hey, I was set free from that. I'm gonna go share the news about that. Because I know people are hurting. I was hurting. People are hurting. I was lost. People are lost. I was chained up. People are chained up. I couldn't see the truth. People can't see the truth. And Paul says, if we live and veil it up and cover it up, it's the people that you and I know and love that are going to suffer. Because we've been given that ministry, Paul says. The ministry of mercy. And we don't give up. And Jesus says, I came to speak that gospel to everyone 
who is bound and blind and bruised, which is every single one of us. And some of us that are here this morning, we've accepted that freedom. We've accepted that deliverance, that freedom and forgiveness of our sins. And we understand what it means to have a hope. And we understand what it means to, to have that relationship with God. But maybe there's some this morning, you don't. Some of you guys might have came in this morning and you're still wearing the chains. And you belong to whoever has you chained. And some of you, the world has you chained up still, and Jesus is like, hey, I got the key. My blood bought this. My blood took that. And some of you are still walking around in that. But listen, here's the deal. Jesus says, I want to take it, and I'm not going to call you my prisoner. I'm not going to call you my captive. You're my child. You're part of my family. Isaiah chapter 53 says, but he, talking about the Messiah, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. The sacrifice of one has offered liberty to all. Jesus laid down his life and he was wounded. He was bruised. He took our guilty plea. He was pierced. And he authored freedom. He set the example and he gave us the way back to God through his sacrifice. Real freedom, real liberty has nothing to do with our freedom to assemble. Has nothing to do with our freedom of religion. Has nothing to do with our freedom of the press. Has nothing to do with our freedom to keep and bear arms. Has nothing to do with anything that was written in that document and in the Bill of Rights. Super important, absolutely. But none of those mean anything if we die in our sins and are separated from God for eternity. Amen. It means nothing. All that's great, but it means nothing if our neighbor dies in their sins. All that's great, but it means nothing if our loved one, our family member dies in their sins. Real freedom is found in Christ. Only comes from the creator and the author of liberty, something that our founding fathers understood. And they tried their best to set up this nation where we would continually follow that. And now God offers freedom to us and we're free to accept it or we're free to reject it. The cost of freedom has always been the blood. And I could lay my life down for you physically and probably spare your life physically. Like I could, I could give my physical life for you and buy you some more years of your life and save your life, but only Jesus can lay his life down and give us eternal life. So where are you at? Where are you at? This morning, did you come in bound and bruised and, and, and blinded? Or maybe this morning, you know that. Maybe you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've been set free from all that, but you're still kind of living like you're owned by someone else. Or maybe you've been set free and you're not looking. You're veiling up. You're covering up your testimony. You're covering up what it really means to follow Christ, what it really means to have the hope and the eternal life. This is Freedom Week. What better week to say, you know what? I've been set free. I want everybody I know to be set free. I've been set free and I want everybody else to know what it, means, what it feels like to have the chains broken. I've been set free. I want everybody else to know what it feels like to have the bruising and the burden lifted of my punishment, of my sins. I've been set free and I can see the truth and I want everybody else to be able to see the truth. Are you covering it up? 
Are you doing what Paul says and says, hey, we're living it out? Bound, bruised, and blinded. But there's freedom. Let me have you bow your heads and close your eyes, church, for just a moment this morning. In just a moment, we're going to have just a, a time of response. It's really all it is, and it's not anything that's embarrassing. It's just what has God worked in your life about today? Maybe for a lot of us, this was just a really good reminder of what Jesus did for us. Maybe this was just a great illustration from the very words of Jesus, how he illustrated it that day to that group of people in the synagogue. And just seeing it, maybe it sparks something in your heart. It says, man, I am so thankful for what Jesus did for me. I am thankful I'm not a prisoner, I'm a child. I am so thankful I'm not carrying the weight of my sin anymore because Jesus died for it. I'm so thankful I can see the truth. And I can see Jesus working in my life. But maybe for someone here this morning, you've never been set free. Would you like to have freedom today? Would you like to know what it feels like to be set free? Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father unless they come through me. And that the wages of sin is death, but that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And all we have to do is says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Maybe you're here this morning and that's you. Listen, I would love to introduce you to the Savior this morning. I would love to introduce you to freedom today. Or maybe this morning God's worked in your heart in a different way. There's no shame in responding. Even if you respond right there where you're standing, or maybe God's worked in your heart and you want to come down here and pray with me or, or come down here and just thank God for the freedom that you have. We thank God for our physical freedoms. We thank God for the men and women who lay down their lives every day so we can keep enjoying these physical freedoms. But let's never forget the source of true freedom. And maybe today we just want to praise God in our freedom because it's all about him. In just a moment, we're all going to stand, and I'm going to invite you. If God's worked in your heart this morning, I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you want to deal with God right there where you're standing as we worship. That's fine, too. But this morning, the key is to respond. The key is to be obedient. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for this amazing day of worship and celebration. And God, there's so many things going on in our church and our community. And God, we just want you to be glorified in all of it. We want it to be all about you. We want to serve, and we want to love, and we want to impact the very place that you've planted us. But God, this morning your word has been presented that you stood up and you read the scroll and you said, I am the one who's going to preach the gospel to the poor, those who are just weighed down and have nothing. And I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm here to set the captives free. I'm here to give sight to the blind. I'm here to, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Thank you for doing that for us. God, we didn't deserve it. I can't pay it back. What a wonderful thing to know that you love me enough to give your life for me and for everyone else in here. So God, this morning, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, I pray that they will just, this morning, your Holy Spirit will work on their heart to have them call out to you, to pray and ask you to save them. And God, for all your, all your church here this morning, what a convicting thing it is for us to live our life being veiled and covering up our testimony. Give us that boldness that we can say, like Paul said, we never gave up for your glory. God, be with us as we close out in worship this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand and worship with me this morning? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you have any questions 
about Morningstar Baptist Church or today's message, visit MorningstarDayton.org and choose Contact Us.